Hello and welcome. My name is Kavi Chavla, your host for a series of Bataan Salon podcasts focused on technology and human-centric transformation in financial services. Over the coming weeks, we will be joined by industry experts and guests to discuss strategies and tactics to guide financial services organizations in responding to industry headwinds and pressures, including those amplified or created by the coronavirus. We are thrilled to be joined by our partners, Trility Consulting, as we jointly explore the paradigm shift towards real-time, distributed, and dynamic virtual environments as the new normal in banking and finance. Today, we discuss how data and technology support the transition towards a distributed workforce in financial services, especially during and post a COVID-19 world. I am joined by Matthew Edwards, CEO of Trility Consulting, and Wade Britt, Chief Operating Officer at Baton Global. With that, I'd like to turn it over to Matthew for a couple of minutes just to introduce himself and then over to Wade. Matthew? Good afternoon. Thank you for the introduction. My name is Matthew Edwards, CEO of Trility Consulting in Des Moines, Iowa. I've been in the hardware and software engineering spaces now for a little over 25 years, and I've had the privilege of working with outstanding people and outstanding teams and clients and quite enjoy the journey of people and engaging people to solve really amazing problems and uh, opportunities. So I appreciate the opportunity to be here and I look forward to uh, talk about all kinds of amazing things. Thanks, Matthew. Wade? Yeah, thank you, Covey. Uh, my name is Wade Britt. I'm the COO at Baton Global, also here in Des Moines, Iowa. I've been working in a variety of industries over the last few decades, uh, logistics, education, technology, and strategic advisory, running large business units and also driving programs of change. In my moves across about a dozen different countries, I really grew to love the intersection of people, process, technology, organizational culture, and then how data can inform that. So really excited to be here with Matthew today and to talk a little bit about some ideas for the financial services sector. Thanks, Wade. And I'd like to pick up perhaps and tap into a bit of your global experience. As we're looking certainly here in Iowa, but also certainly across the globe, a lot of countries and cities are starting to open up. When we look at the financial services industry, what do banks need to do now that they can likely see an uptick in both on-prem visitors, perhaps, but also increased activity as a result of some of the economic opening we're seeing? Sure. Thanks for that question, Covey. There's a couple of interesting areas that that I think we're going to explore across the different sessions of this podcast. And I'd really maybe hone in on these ideas of validating the data that you're looking at and accelerating virtualization. Part of this triage moment where people are returning and business is starting to open back up, it's incredibly important to really make that human connection with your teams to kind of confirm how everyone is doing. The challenge here is that people won't necessarily tell you. And you've really got to make sure that you're using an appropriate data set to keep track of how are the processes working? Are the inputs and outputs that you typically measure showing you what you would expect to see? Collaboration tools will often have ways of measuring and visualizing interaction which can be very helpful for building that understanding of how is your organization communicating? Because that is something that really across all industries, people will be challenged with as we return back to work. In terms of an acceleration of virtualization, here we can really speak very specifically to financial services uh, in that this is a highly regulated environment, tends to be conservative in a lot of places. 
And there could be a lot of critical operations that were requiring significant amounts of paper-based process, physical interaction in order to make them move forward. And there's a really good opportunity for banks and other companies in financial services to really re-examine these processes and see how they might function even better in a virtualized environment. Thanks, Wade. And Matthew, I'd like you to maybe follow up on a couple of points that Wade made. Wade talked about kind of this necessity to visualize interaction, right? So it's about aggregating, collecting, managing data, and then putting it into a format that is usable. So as banks start to perhaps collect more and more data, number one, just in general, how are we seeing that transformation towards a visualization of interactions? And I think, again, both internal and external. And then number two, Are there any unique aspects to that in light of COVID-19 and the emergence of a new normal for business? Thank you for those questions. I'll go backwards. I think the interesting thing about uh, COVID is we have been in the midst of a transition in a lot of different industries and a lot of different types of companies that have been attributed to or otherwise characterized as digital transformation. And the reality is that it's really a discussion of modernizing and or the evolution of people and processes and tools and so forth. It's not just uh, an upgrade of technology, but rather it's an opportunity to move a company forward in terms of capabilities and opportunities, which include training and teaching and evolving people, as well as processes and so forth. I think that the COVID conversation has been a significant stimulus in people having to figure out how to solve geographically distributed remote workforces and systems and so forth. It was an evolution that I believe many people were already on, and this has fast forwarded the speed at which many people had to think about it understand it and solve it. So I don't know that the COVID experience has been the reason for um, its existence or its evolution, but I do believe that it's actually increased the the velocity at which people had to understand and solve. But then as it relates to the types of things technologically and operationally that uh, organizations are having to solve nowadays that may be even more important than had been considered historically is we had a lot of trust or faith, if you will, in systems that we had in place, particularly the reliance upon organizations organic relationships, on-premises solutions, hardening the castle walls as it is, as we discuss those things. And then by moving things into a, we're 100% remote or 100% geographically distributed conversation, it forces companies to think through things that they specifically may have chosen not to solve or not address historically. And that's understandable because everyone has a different risk appetite. Nowadays, in order for me to understand what user experience all of the people on my team are having, what user experience my team members are having with their clients and potential clients, I really have to spend a whole lot more time understanding things like system reliability, system accessibility, flow, for example. Flow is a huge conversation, which can be uh, illustrated by discussing a four-way stop, traffic stop in the U.S. versus a roundabout. We have to start looking at higher level conversations, in particular like centralized logging of everything as opposed to only select things. How will we understand systems if we're not aware of what systems we have or where they're located or whether or not they're all actually communicating into a centralized location? Uh, The way I typically uh, look at things is through the eyes, or I try to look through the eyes of the people with whom I'm working to say, what problems do they need to solve? What experiences or goals do they need to uh, achieve? And then what are the things they need to get there? And then I work to just create flow 
no friction, fewest number of steps between here and there to help them achieve their goals so that at the end of the day, they still have something left to be the person that they want to be who also had a job during the day. So it's, it's hard, but the simplest conversation I think is through the eyes of a teammate. What do they have to be? Where do they have to go? What do they have to do? And how can I enable a frictionless experience all day? And then let that cascade out into all of the things I need to modify or evolve in my system. And I think that that transcends industries and company types and so forth. Thanks, Matthew. And I guess a follow-up question. You talked about the need to evolve people. And obviously, COVID-19 for a lot of organizations, including in financial services, especially here in the United States, as they've had to process a lot of the PPP loans, et cetera, there's a, a sense of stress and a sense of pressure around financial performance of the organization, long-term sustainability. So how does, if I'm, again, sitting at the top of an organization, CEO, COO, CTO or chief information officer, how did these sorts of human elements start to integrate into my thinking of this need to evolve my organization in terms of flow, system reliability, systems, you know, on-prem versus the cloud, et cetera? As is ordinary, there are multiple ways to address and head in the direction that you're discussing. My own perspective on these things in particular is if you were told you only have $10 and I were to send you to a store, a restaurant or a coffee shop and tell you that I need you to spend that $10 to serve our entire office with just that $10, what decisions would you make? And people tend to make shrewd decisions about what is the most important thing, what is the desired thing, and then what is the thing that I'm just not going to do because $10 is the constraint. Similarly then, from a top-down view into an organization, we have a lot of experience. Uh, We as people have a lot of experience running companies paying attention to spreadsheets and dashboards, dynamic streams of data, and we're able to know all of the things But ordinarily, what we rely upon has some type of organic dependency in there in some way, shape, or form, whether it's the extraction of data, the aggregation and normalization of data, whether it's how we present it or discuss it or solve it. And I think an interesting thing that's probably being solved, uh, needing to be solved by lots more companies and leadership teams today is taking the same shrewd behavior, which is If I tell you, you only get to have a single pane of glass and that single pane of glass will single-handedly dynamically illustrate to you the health points or health checkpoints inside your organization financially and operationally, but then relationally, um, satisfaction, reliability, all of the different things that includes people, process, and general operational health and financial health. You have one pane of glass. What should be on that pane of glass? And it puts, it creates this amazing and difficult conversation in front of lots of people to say, hey, we used to pay attention to these things, but nothing that I was paying attention to told me the temperature of my people. It didn't tell me the frustration levels of the people that I have on my team trying to figure out how to be great people during this time. How do I change my dashboard? And in my assertion to you, I believe that these dynamic single panes of glass are something that should behaviorally be practiced by most at the leadership levels. But now that we're practicing a geographically distributed 100% remote workforce where we have to change very many things about who we are and what we do personally and professionally, if I have a single pane of glass and I am a CEO of an industry, of a company, I may need to drop some things off that glass 
and add some new things onto that glass that I historically didn't pay attention to because I assumed them. I may have assumed that different layers of management and leadership were taking care of the satisfaction and the happiness and the confidence and the trust of the people in the organization. But now I need to know that also. So now I should be looking at my finances, my operational health, my security, my risk appetite, as well as my people. I believe that that single pane of glass is an easy way to say what matters and whatever mattered yesterday might need to be reconsidered for tomorrow. And it's an excellent conversation starter and it's a hard conversation. Thanks, Matthew. I really like the, the pane of glass analogy here. So maybe to carry that forward, Wade, you talked a lot about Matthew. Matthew talked about that pane of glass and the employees and internal operations, right? So if we think about then perhaps a stained glass window with multiple panes, who are the other stakeholders that need to start getting included in perhaps that window? And how do they interact um, in terms of kind of that prioritization in general, but then how it filters through to kind of thinking about data, technology, et cetera? Wait. Sure. I, a lot of what Matthew said really resonated with me. I love the metaphor of focusing on a single pane of glass. And, you know, Matthew, you said something earlier that really kind of stuck with me in terms of leadership teams, perhaps they've chosen not to solve these challenges in the past. And something that can be a real positive uh, to come out of this pandemic that we're all suffering through is if this acts as a bit of a burning platform to help modify people's behavior and make them more willing to change and to adapt to this sort of change. A lot of the hard work that needs to be done to get to that single pane of glass to sort of rigorously go through you know, the different quadrants of a, of a balanced scorecard and to really understand what are these key metrics that we need to be paying attention to, looking at them in a way that isn't siloed across an organization, but is at a true enterprise level and that promotes transparency and visibility to really give not just the leadership team, but, but the whole team, you know, this, this wider sense of context about who we are as a firm and, and what we need to focus on to be successful uh, can be really powerful. Matthew, if you don't mind me fielding a question over to you, I'm, I'm interested to hear your thoughts around what are those things that you think people might pay more attention to today and in the coming months as a result of this forced experiment in remote working that we've all been through that could adjust people's pain of glass? I think historically we do very good jobs in the technology industry of understanding the state of systems, the state of data centers, the state of everything technical to the point where in past lives, I've even had many network operations centers set up on walls in different organizations or different offices that we would call the wall of truth. Mm -hmm. That way on that wall of truth, I could always know now what is the status of all of the most important things that compose a successful platform by which we serve a customer, delight a client, and generate revenue and long-term relationships and so on. I've always loved that. And I think that the technology side of things is tuned for that. We do a very good job of that. We pay attention to things dynamically and we make appropriately responsive decisions thereafter based on that data. I think the financial segments and the sales segments of organizations have done historically a very good job of those things as well. It's a little more difficult to get real-time or dynamic data sometimes in those situations when you have 
multiple business divisions and we need to aggregate the data and normalize it and understand it so that we can forecast and so on. So there's a little time or a little latency there. Similarly, sales pipelines, understanding top to bottom of funnel things and the latency between getting a prospect to validation all the way down to we're getting wet signatures or counter signatures. And by the way, wet signatures is something that we need to change. But I think sales generally does a pretty good job of knowing things about as real time as can be had, but still the technology side of things is amazing. But I think on the people side, historically, we have room for improvement. And on the people side, we tend to manage people through things like one-on-ones. We manage them in daily stand-ups. We may manage them in quarterly or semi-annual or annual goal setting and performance management ideologies. I think that we don't spend as much time perhaps taking our existing people management frameworks and treating with the same level of attention that we do for technology and sales and marketing and finance that I wanna understand dynamically. I need to know right now if my technology systems are experiencing faults because those faults can lead to failures. I need to know that in advance. But we may not be as rigorous in monitoring and managing and paying attention to people as well. We, we tend to manage people with milestones. I think that this is a spectacular opportunity for us to move from a historical paradigm of people management that we have had, which is milestone-based, goal-based, and then elapsed time spread out. So I'll schedule it to occur, whether it's weekly, monthly, quarterly, or whatever, to rather we're experiencing a time when people need to work dynamically. They need to work in flow. So rather than waiting on the volleyball of email, we have dynamic streaming uh, chat conversations with each other, one to many people, one to many companies, one to many groups. We do it now. I believe this is a spectacular opportunity for us to mature, modify, or otherwise evolve how we manage, engage, and value people on our own companies, and between companies by moving from a predictable, repeatable, scheduled experience to a framework-based but dynamic streaming experience with people. So I talk to you on purpose, but I do it multiple times a day or multiple times through the week or the month or the quarter, and I let those dynamic experiences become how I manage where they are today, how they're adapting to this new world we're in, how we're adapting our company, How are they doing? I should know everything about the people on my team in the same way that I know about my financial sales, marketing, and especially technology systems today. So I think today is a spectacular opportunity for that evolution, and I hope that people see that. There are tools out there that enable it, but it is a paradigm shift, and I think that this is the right time to consider the shift. That's really exciting, Matthew, because when you think about the sort of typical components in a balanced scorecard and how people might implement them at their firm. You know, there's, there's certainly an enormous amount of emphasis and control on financial results. There's a, a large amount of attention being paid to taking the temperature uh, of your clients, you know, whether that's a net promoter score or through other feedback mechanisms that people might measure. You then see internal process uh, maybe gets a little less love than those two other quadrants, but certainly the, 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 the humanistic areas, the the learning and development of the human capital at the firm tends to get a little bit of short shrift with regards to static measurements that happen at fixed calendar times of the year. Uh, I I really love the idea of building greater dynamism into that. And, you know, you you had mentioned a bit that there are some 
technological ways of perhaps doing that. Is, is there anything that you can share a little bit about what that might look like? Yeah, every company and every leader has their own opinion and their own philosophy as it relates to whether they struggle with, we must build these things for ourselves from the ground up because we're, we're very unique, or those people who choose to make use of commercial off-the-shelf solutions. There are spectacular platform, software as a service, you know, SaaS pass, platform-based solutions out in the cloud right now that enable this evolution inside companies the technology absolutely needs to exist and it does exist and it will enable the change but ultimately it is a top-down paradigm shift mentally and then behaviorally first in other words if i were to just have a five-minute conversation with any person and say to you do you know the current state of all of your technology now? A lot of the technology people would say, absolutely. They'd show it on their phone. They'd show their laptop, their tablet, whatever. They could show you in their car, perhaps. It would be amazing, exciting, and nobody would be more excited than they are. <laughs> but if I ask you to tell me the dynamic status of all of the people on your team, you would either report to me what happened yesterday, last week, last month, last email, or tell me I needed to wait until this upcoming meeting. There are tools out there that enable dynamic interaction today for people. Adopting the tool is not the hard part. The tools are easy to adopt. Changing the behaviors from the top down, and that's all of the layers of leadership and management through human resources to people management, all the way down to uh, people that are um, individual contributors or team contributors. Changing that behavior has to be a top-down expectation shift. So that is the prerequisite to getting to this new experience. It's not the tool or technology. It's the choice. Instead of now doing quarterly-based goals, which all roll up to semi-annual and annual corporate or enterprise schools and so on, and having that traceability tree, break it down to the individual interaction. So first, there has to be the choice, the education, the approach, the rollout, and communication for sure. The tool is the simp simplest part of the whole thing, in my opinion, as is usual. The tool is supposed to enable the choices that we've made as leaders, and that's a tough one in and of itself. And Matthew, maybe I'm misinterpreting a little here, but you know, again, you've, you've stressed the importance of top-down leadership, right? And the role of a leader as a change agent. And again, this is both for you, Matthew, and for you, Wade. So again, if I am a senior executive in a financial services institution at the moment, there is obviously an extremely dynamic, uncertain external environment where to some degree, I'm just trying to make tactical decisions to keep the operations going. Do you have any advice, guidance, tactics, strategies, action items that senior leaders should start to take towards driving some of the dynamic interactions and that shift that you, you're both talking about? I think that really it's figuring out how to be better in touch with the people that are on the front line. And I have some professional experience that just recently uh, occurred uh, during this whole time of uh, the Payroll Protection Act and the speed at which uh, local versus regional versus national banks. My encouragement to some of the banks that we experienced when we talked with people about different things, uh, in particular problems they were trying to solve, directions they wanted to head was, how quickly and how accurately did they have access to or insight into the types of problems that their teammates were trying to solve down on the front line. So for example, a CEO at a national bank who is 
uh, hoping to make uh, the service changes and appropriate portfolio changes in order to serve people that are wanting to take part of the federal PPP uh, or the CARES Act details. Um, how uh, dynamically did this person actually know that people in regional banks and city branches were or were not able to get what they need when they need to answer the questions to serve the people to to get the applications to serve up the loan opportunities i'd argue based on some of the things that i saw and to be fair to everybody it was a new experience of course for all of us so we were in this together uh, the larger the organization the greater the latency between the people doing the work and the people monitoring or directing and wanting to communicate the work and i think that that was pretty tough um, on folks and they may have lost opportunities as a result of uh, those things but as a c-level person what dynamic access do you have to the people on the street doing the work so that you can eliminate roadblocks, eliminate latency, eliminate the number, the wait time, just process waste. What is that time between I said, let's do it, please and thank you, and we were actually able to do it? It's a normal human problem. It's a normal process problem, but it's a problem that can be eliminated but there's a latency between the people doing the work and the people talking about the do, doing the work and that's that's just a normal human problem that i think exposed itself is exposing itself during this time that we're in now that that really resonates uh with with our observations as well uh, on a couple of different ways you know the the sort of rigorous measurement of of output emphasis uh, on a lot of performance-based measures that firms might be using uh, can, can really not give you an accurate read as you enter into turbulent times. You know, so kind of, Covey, hearkening back to your question about you know, what should people be looking to focus on right now, it's really trying to identify those data points that can be used to give you confirmation that things are in fact okay. Um, people are notoriously bad at perhaps self-describing when they're, when they're running into problems and, and that's where data can really support you through understanding at a more profound level uh, where you might be seeing challenges in your processes and where the leadership team should be focusing their efforts to get rid of those roadblocks and obstacles so that their teams uh, can serve the customer. Um, it's been interesting to see how um, you know, community banks and smaller financial organizations have really been able to step up very well during this hectic time uh, of PPP processing. And it's, you know, in a lot of ways down to that very close relationship that they cultivate uh, with, their, with their clients. Where do you see investments or changes that banks need to make or financial services institutions need to start making today that 12 or 18 months from now are really going to pay dividends in terms of both a shift towards, you know, again, the dynamic interaction, better utilization of data, but also in terms of then thinking about their existing technology and data architecture. Uh, I think I'd maybe go back to an emphasis on accelerating the virtualization of your processes. You know, particularly when you think about highly regulated industries such as financial services, uh, approval processes can be multi-step and rather onerous. And perhaps there are processes that weren't as efficient as they could have been that people were willing to live with previously. And this shift to a more virtual way of working 
and looking into the future, perhaps a, a more permanent shift of people demanding to have things done at distance rather than interacting face to face uh, will really create you know, opportunities uh, for these financial services firms that are able to capitalize on moving their processes more and more virtually to be more responsive to their clients. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that, Wade. Um, I think that we've had a luxury historically of co-location, um, physical co-location. I think we've had the luxury of um, organic um, interactions. And to some extent, those relationships and those locations have enabled the existence of processes, procedures, and results are probably okay for those contexts. However, when we eliminate a location and we eliminate co-location and we eliminate all organic interaction, and we make this almost an, an antiseptic type of situation whereby I've made a request and we're waiting for a response to that request and what are all of the steps in the middle? As an end user, let's say as a customer of some institution, really what I want to know is, do you have what I'm looking for and will it benefit? And then what is the time and effort and cost to me from the point that I agree I would like to work with you to the point where I actually receive the result of that. And now it's a lot more complicated. When I'm sitting across the desk from you, I can see that you're thinking and I can see that you're working and I can see that you're struggling and I can see that you're conferring with your other professional, your peers. And I know something's going on and I can tell when it's going my way and when it's not going my way. And I'm there for the journey and the experience to some extent. Now that it's completely geographically distributed, and we're not sitting with each other and I'm not doing video calls with everyone that I need with whom I need to interact. I'm left with the absence of data. I'm left with an experience whereby I said, please help me. And then it's a black box until you come back to me or don't come back to me. And I think that this is an opportunity uh, in front of all of us to figure out how to say the simplest of things, which is, in order for us to achieve this goal, what are the number of steps that it takes to do? And what are the number of steps that take that are spent waiting? And how do I reduce or eliminate wait time? And how do I reduce or eliminate steps in order for you to get to give you the greatest result in the shortest amount of time and effort possible to your delight? So Wade, to your point, talking about, uh, if you will, uh, um, you didn't say automation, but I interpreted what you said as automation. When we talk about automation, really what we're talking about is how do I take my, how do I achieve my goal now with the fewest number of steps, the fewest amount of wait, wait time, if you will, the lowest cost, the highest return, and so on. I think automation is a key factor for us going forward, but it still comes back down to the people. I would encourage anyone who's figuring out how to make these changes to go look at the daily operations um, through the eyes of one of the people on the team. I have uh, loan processors, I have tellers, I have all of these different roles in my daily operational thing. What is it that I'm expecting them to do? How am I expecting it to look when it's done? How do I eliminate anything in front of them that precludes them from achieving their goal. And if I told you that my goal was at the end of the day, they had a smile on their face and a song in their heart, and they were skipping out of that uh, 
work session for the day saying, my gosh, this has been the best ever. And now I'm going to also live my personal life. If you can structure the day in such a way that those people are ending their business days and moving into their personal days with joy in their heart, happiness in their mind, they have energy left to still become amazing, amazing people at the end of the business day then what we've really structured or focused upon was eliminating friction. We've taken all of the things we normally expected them to do and made it smaller, simpler, faster, more transparent or more visible for all parties involved. And I think that when we think about it through their eyes and we eliminate the location and the organic stuff and just think, where do I want them to be? That will distill down for all of us, what are the things that matter what are the things that used to matter? And now of the things that are left, how do I make them the smallest, cleanest, simplest, most fulfilling things possible? And that sounds very um, subjective. I'm using flowery words, if you will, but here's the deal. I can't automate everything. So I'm dependent upon the happiness and the choices and the commitment of my people. And I have to figure out how to delight my people, my people on my team, my people in my company, the people that make this company. I have to delight them before I can delight everybody else. Mm -hmm. I love this conversation clearly, which is why I've not stopped discussing it. Uh, what, what, I, what I love about what you shared, Matthew, was that the process that a firm would need to go through to understand those steps and to make them as efficient and as effective as they could be. That translates exceptionally well to providing a data set that can be surfaced to the client. I was really struck by your description of somebody is no longer physically co-located co with their service provider, so they're missing all of these cues that we take for granted when, when we're sitting across from someone and, and seeing them in person we have an idea of how this process is going and it's unfolding. And if there's only attention paid to the process being made very effective and structured internally, we are missing an opportunity to really share that information out with clients so that they understand where they are in the journey of their request being fulfilled. And it just would give them more confidence that their needs are being met effectively. Any additional comments either of you would like to make in terms of just some closing comments, Matthew? I think that it's very easy for folks to get together and talk about very difficult, very complex problems and amazing architectures and ridiculously amazing solutions. But I really do believe that all of this can be distilled down to the simplest of conversations, which is through the eyes of the people that I'm trying to enable. If we could just focus on enabling people, it eliminates everything else that doesn't matter and helps us figure out how to simplify. But when we overlook people in our attempts to serve people, we have a superpower. And our superpower is to make things overcomplicated and painful for everyone involved. So my encouragement, no matter how difficult these things seem to be, is focus on the day through the eyes of our people on our teams. And that will help us figure out what matters. Wait. Yeah, that, that em empathy for sure is valuable to making sure that you're focusing on the right thing. Uh, I would also encourage people to look at the silver lining on this very dark cloud. The way that we have changed our cadence of working has really created a great burning platform to motivate change and adaptation to using data better 
and for accelerating their efforts to virtualize process. And, and that is a real opportunity that can enhance the long-term sustainability of these firms. Thank you, Matthew and Wade, for a valuable discussion. In summary, it is part of the leadership imperative to drive the transition towards a distributed workforce. Technology should cascade down from business objectives and data-driven, actionable dashboards that allow for real-time, dynamic, and streaming flow amongst and within the organization are key to human-centered and technology transformation. Please visit us at batonglobal.com with any questions and feedback. And if you like what you heard, please give us a review and a rating. Thank you, and be well. 